All right, so we're in Second Peter, uh, and we are going to go to the Lord, our hope, uh, and our help, uh, and see what exactly he's done for us. And, and as we look for him in that, uh, we're going to, Second uh, Peter's been calling us, remember and respond. Remember what God has done. Remember what God is going to do. And now here we're in this final section of Peter's letter, uh, telling them how to respond to this blessed hope, right, of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, a place where righteousness dwells, this world that God created to be inhabited, Zachary read, uh, the thoughts that one day all the curses of this earth gone and we dwell in a land of righteousness as a people of righteousness, uh, serving the king of righteousness, just rejoicing that we live uh, lives of holiness and godwardness, Peter called us to. Uh, and now, starting in verses 14 through 18, we see another call of how to live uh, in light of this new heavens and this new earth. Holiness and godwardness in light of the dissolving of the past world. Uh, this one in light of the hope of the world to come. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's word and let's see how are we to live in light of this hope to come, in light of this hope of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beginning in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come bringing you uh, glory, lifting up uh, your glory, declaring how glorious you are, worshiping you. You are worth everything uh, that we have. You are worth our time today. You are worth our praise and beyond what we can even give. So, Father, we gather together as your body to praise you for what you have done and to ask you to guide us through your word to show us how to live as a people, hoping for that new heavens and new earth. We ask this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, let's start with verse 15, because we, we've done verses uh, 14, uh, really to, this, to, to here in 15, looking at uh, you know, how, to, how to respond without spot or blemish. Uh, and at peace. We talked about spot or blemish a while. We've, we've mentioned that several times. It's brought up several times uh, by Peter. And then we looked at, at peace and saw what the call to peace was. Now in verse 15, we're going to get this new sentence and this, this new call that really builds upon the previous one. Look at what he says in verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So as these believers are doing what he said in verse 15 to do, as we're diligently pursuing to be spotless and as we're diligently diligently pursuing to be at peace, but, right, but what if we're looking at our lives and we're not those things? What if it says, if you know what, as believers, you should be living spotless lives. And as believers, you should be diligent to be at peace. What if we look at our lives and go, you know what, I don't see a lot of spotlessness. I don't, I see spots. 
right? I see areas where I'm not at peace. What if those texts that we read and those calls that we read, what if they were, instead of encouraging, what if they're encouraging in a different way, we could say, what if they were convicting? What do we do? What if we haven't been doing these things? What if we look at these verses and we're not living this life that we're supposed to be living? If we want this new heavens and the new earth, well, here we see the good news. The good news is count the patience of the Lord as salvation. In other words, today can be the day that you do start doing those things. The Lord's delay in bringing about this new heavens and the new earth is our salvation. Is your chance to do this? Is not just not just the call to salvation that the Lord is going to save people? Because if you'll remember back, what did he say in 2 Peter 3, 9? He's already mentioned how the Lord's delay in bringing this new heavens and this new earth is really just a matter of his patience toward us. Look at what he said in 2 Peter 3, 9. Uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here we see in, in verse 15 now, the, that same idea, that same word, same words, counting, uh, you know, some count slowness here. We're supposed to be counting, uh, count the patience of the Lord as this. Other people count it as that. You count it as this. This is for our good. The patience of the Lord is always for our good. Verse 9, it is to bring us to repentance. Verse uh, 15 now here, the same sort of idea. It is to bring us to salvation. I mean, the day of the Lord is coming, is coming soon. A day of wrath, a day of judgment. Where those spots and, and blemishes and those without peace will, will taste the wrath of God. But today is not that day for the believers. And so when they're reading these passages, what should they do? They should not read them and just think, oh, woe is me. I'm not this. Oh, I know I'm supposed to be spotless and I've got spots. I know I'm supposed to be blameless and I've got some blame. This last week I did this and I did that. No. And I'm not at peace. Oh, I guess that's just me. Instead, you're supposed to see the patience of the Lord as a day to cleanse yourself from your spots and blemishes. If you're not at peace to see a day, pursue peace today. If the Lord is being patient, he is patient for a reason. He is patient so that you can begin to obey his word. You can begin to be obedient to it. You see that you're not at peace. Thank God that today is not the day of war. And seek peace and pursue it. So I think if you're going to sum up verses 14 and 15, uh, since we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, we should live holy lives, we should live peaceful lives, uh, and that any delay on the part of God to not swoop in, in in judgment is because he is working salvation in his people. And part of that working salvation, remember, is not just God saves us and then his work is done with us. Our salvation is an ongoing thing. And part of God's ongoing work of salvation in you is to continue to cleanse you of your spots and blemishes, is to continue to drive those things out of you, to continue, as Zachary said, to call you to kill your sin every single day, to call you to be at peace that continues to be part of God's salvific work on your behalf, even as you wait for his return. So it's not just that God saves you and sort of you then drift and you either do a good job of it or you do a bad job of it till you get to heaven. The Lord continues to work our salvation out in us, our holification. Remember, he is continually making us more holy, more spotless, without blemish, uh, causing us to be at peace. 
but Peter's words uh, are not new. If you look at the end of verse 15, he tells us that. He says, look, I'm not saying anything new. He says, count the patience of the Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now, why mention Paul here? It seems kind of weird, right? Like uh, to all of a sudden uh, bring up Paul. We're going to talk about the value of, of this and some sort of tertiary things you can learn from this in maybe a couple of weeks. But one reason is this is what Paul himself apparently taught as well. So one reason to bring up Paul is because Paul talked about this in his letters. Peter is not alone. He's not writing anything new. Peter is just saying the same thing that Paul said to whom? Who did Paul say this to before? To them. He says, this is the same thing Paul said to you. Now, what does it mean that Paul has talked to these Petrine people, right? Who are these lucky people that are getting letters both from Peter and Paul? This is like the most blessed churches, right? Uh, they're like, they're getting, you know, Paul's writing to him. These are some cool, this is a cool church, right? Uh, Peter and Paul both writing to them. Well, if you remember, Second Peter is what we call a, a general epistle. It is, it is a general letter. It is written to churches, not to one specific church, uh, like, say, for example, the Ephesians, written to the church in, in Ephesus. This is written to the churches of, of Asia Minor. And so Peter is either referring here uh, to some letter of Paul's that we don't have, uh, that, that had been circulated to these churches. Um, I mean, that wouldn't be unheard of. Maybe something similar to what we've got going on in, in the Corinthian letters. but Or he, he could be referring to some of the letters uh, to the churches of Asia Minor. Because remember... When, he, when this is written to Asia Minor, there are other churches in Asia Minor that we do have letters to. So like the Colossians, he could be talking about the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians. Those would both be letters that the churches in Asia Minor would have been uh, aware of. Uh, or maybe by now, because by this time, remember by the time Second Peter is being written, Paul is dead. Paul is gone. Paul is not alive. He's been killed. Uh, and so by this point in time, it is possible that all of Paul's letters had begun after his martyrdom to be circulated throughout the churches. Uh, and that's certainly possible. Uh, we do know, like, for example, in Colossians, Paul certainly encouraged churches to exchange his letters, even letters written to them. Uh, so Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read... In the church of Laodicea. And see, uh, see that you are also read the letter from Laodicea. Exchange letters, right? Uh, like that's what was supposed to be going on. Those of you who uh, are in the book of Colossians, uh, what's interesting about Laodicea? Remember, Laodicea is like a neighboring city to Colossae. They're like neighbors. Uh, so exchange that letter to them. You get a letter back that I wrote to them. We don't have that letter to the Laodiceans. But uh, by, by this point, who knows which letter he is referring to, but really it's not important which letter it is. It's kind of hard to figure out. And the reason it's hard to figure out is exactly what Peter was talking about. The reason we don't know what letter is he talking about where Paul talks about this is because of what Peter says. What does Peter say? He writes about this 
in all his letters. So if you're looking at it and trying to figure out which letter is he talking about, that's Peter's point. And, and one of the reasons we think it might have been multiple letters, because he says he writes about this in all of these letters. He does in all of his letters. If he's talking about these topics, if Paul's talking about the same things Peter's talking about, the return uh, of, of the Lord, the new heavens, the new earth, the dissolving of the old world, this topic is always uh, brought with this instruction, holiness, Peace, these, these same things. And we saw that. We've seen that as we've walked through this for Peter. These ideas of a church to be a people of holiness and a people at peace, a people of holiness in a world of sin, a people at peace in a world of chaos, uh, both of which you can normally see just around your average Thanksgiving uh, dinner table, uh, both sin and war, uh, to be a people of peace, a people who are uh, at peace with the Lord, who are pursuing holiness, and to be a people who aren't constantly fighting is something that the world will look at and think you're weird, probably think you're a part of a cult, uh, because you're so different from the world around you. And these are not novel ideas. They are repeated words of God for his people. Be holy, be at peace, and in the meantime, be patient. Uh, so we won't go through all the places that Paul mentions these truths. We've, we've done that already as we've looked through these uh, earlier texts. We'll talk a little bit about Paul in maybe about two weeks. Uh, but Peter is showing us here how absolutely important these ideas are for the Christian. So what we've looked at for the last few weeks, holiness uh, or being without spot and blemish and being at peace and then being patient. These are not minor things, Peter's saying. Peter says these things are brought up in all the scripture anytime this stuff is talked about. He's laying on these on these people. A lot of times we look at these verses and we run to Paul. And we go, well, why is he writing about Paul? And we go on all these tangents about Paul, rightful tangents that we can learn from this. But the one thing Peter's stressing is not Paul wrote this, but these same things are there. Paul wrote these things so that our focus should be, this is how important it is. This is why we should be speedily pursuing these things, speedily pursuing to be blameless, speedily pursuing to be at peace, because these things have always been a part of God's word to his churches as they wait for his coming. But there are a few other reasons to mention Paul as well. Uh, You go down into uh, verse 16. Let's put down verse 16 as a whole and see if we can figure out another reason Paul might uh, or Peter might mention Paul. It says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So mentions this because Paul says the same thing, but he also appears to be mentioning Paul because people are apparently misusing Paul. Now that might be uh, sort of what the last half of verse 16 is, is getting at, that there are things that are hard to understand and these things are then twisted. Now this is an interesting verse and, and we're going to look at this. Uh, Look at what it says. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. What does it mean that there are things in what Peter and Paul are saying that are hard to understand? There are things in them. Now, he could be referring uh, to Paul's letters or to specific sections about these topics. Uh, The word for hard to understand is just one word. 
Literally, if you were just translate this sort of woodenly, uh, it, it would say, in them there are hard to understand things. There are hard to understand things in those places. Hard to understand things. This doesn't mean that there are th- things that can't be understood or that no one can understand or that, does, that means your Bible isn't clear. But here's the truth. We've all run into what we could call hard passages. You've all had times where you're reading your Bible and you read it and you go, well, I have no idea what to do with that. What am I supposed to do with that? And then you'll read, maybe you've got a study Bible and your person in your study Bible confidently tells you this is what that passage is talking about. You go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what my other study Bible says. And your other study Bible will confidently tell you, no, it means this. Uh, So what do you do? What do we do when we get to hard texts, hard passages, even for Christianity as a whole or specifically in our lives? When we get to things and we read them and we don't understand what they're saying, what, is, what are we supposed to do? What do we do with difficult passages? Why are they there? And what can we learn from them? Even if we don't understand them, what can we learn from passages that we don't understand? And what we're going to see uh, probably for the next two weeks are lessons from hard texts. We're going to see that the Bible tells us when you get to difficult passages, they teach you things about Scripture And they can also teach you things about yourself. Okay? So when you get to a difficult passage, something you don't understand or something that people have been, you know, uh, debating, let's say, since the the first century, uh, what, what should you do? And what can those passages teach us about our Bibles and about ourselves? First thing is that hard texts are supposed to teach us to come to the Bible humbly. To come to the Bible humbly. Hard text help keep us humble. Because here's the truth. All of scripture should be a hard text for you. Every bit of it is a hard text if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. Every inch of scripture, every jot and tittle is impossible for you to understand without the Holy Spirit teaching you what it means. Without the, without, without the Holy Spirit, not only is the Bible hard to understand, without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is impossible to understand. So the first way that hard texts keep us humble is it reminds us that without the Holy Spirit, all of it would be hard. And this is one thing I want to remind you. I, and, and when I talk to people and they're struggling with their Bible reading and they're like, I read and I just get to places and I don't understand and it gets so frustrating. I encourage them now, don't rob God of his glory. And then they go, well, I didn't want to do that. Uh, but what do I tell them? You know what? You're probably frustrated because you can't understand four or five verses when you've read two or three chapters and you know exactly what this two or three chapters is about, but there may be one or two sentences in the middle of that that you don't understand. But it's not like you don't understand any of it. It's not like you're reading gobbledygook. Uh, You understand most of what you're reading. You might get to a part you don't understand, but realize if the Holy Spirit, because that's what they're doing, they're questioning, you know, God's love for them, his care, their own spiritual growth. Am I a failure? Because I don't understand what's going on here. And I remind them, you know, without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have gotten any of it. Look, you, you, you don't know what to do with verse 17 here. But you've, today, you read 45 verses. And the only one that threw you off was verse 17. And you want to see the glory of the Lord? 
without the Holy Spirit's work in you, it's not that you wouldn't have understood verse 17. You would have hated all of it. So the fact that your big struggle is you don't understand it, but you want to is a sign of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart is a reason to not be discouraged. Because if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in your heart, you'd be breezing through this, ready to shut it and get onto something else. The fact that you're struggling going, I want to understand is a humbling reality that reminds us it is the Holy Spirit that teaches us everything, everything. And he is teaching us. He is growing. So don't be frustrated, but also continue to be humble. Look at what we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians is a great place to go if you're ever struggling with pride. Uh, beginning in, in verse 13 of chapter 2. But, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what... what, Paul is saying is, how can you and I expect to to grasp the depths of God and of his word? As he's quoting uh, from, from Isaiah here, who can understand the mind of God? And that's one of the, this is why we should be humble. The idea that we can read the words of the infinite God of the universe and understand anything, right, is really quite amazing. It it takes the work of the Spirit for us, feeble, finite, silly, foolish us, to be able to read Scripture and understand the thoughts of God. To be able to get a glimpse into, let's face it, just the surface of the depths of who God is. One thing I tell people when they're frustrated by things they don't understand, I said, look, If you started looking at the things you thought you did understand, you'd realize you don't understand the things you thought you did understand, right? You're like, I'm frustrated because I don't get this. I'm like, look, you don't get the things you think you get. The idea that you're like, oh yeah, I understand eternity. No, you don't. The idea that you understand the holiness of God. No, you don't. I mean, you, you understand the surface level of who God is. But that's why even the most holy of people, when they come before the presence of the Lord, those people who've been living spotless and blameless lives, when they see the holiness of God, what do they do? They fall down. When they just see the train of his robe, they're like, oh, now I get it. So even the things we think we understand about God, in truth, we do not fully understand because the word of God is that vast. We must always keep ourselves humble. And sometimes hard texts help keep us humble. It reminds us, it's surprising I get any of this. 
I can't believe I've been reading all day today and just, just got confused right here. And sometimes if you remember before you were a Christian and you tried to read God's word, that's a lot what it was like. You would read any of scripture and you would either be bored out of your mind or confused beyond all reason. But now you can open passages and you can read the book of John. You can read things and understand what the Lord is calling you to do from those texts. What the God of the universe is through his word communicating for you to do and for you to live. That's an amazing thing and it should be a humbling thing. It should humble us that we get any of the word of God. And you know what's funny is the, the more we grow, the more of God's word we will begin to understand. This is, this is an, uh, when we read scripture and we begin to even understand any of it, it's, in a, it's, it's amazing and it's a sign of God's uh, grace a sign of God's grace that all of scripture isn't, isn't hard for us. And the reason scripture isn't impossible for us to understand every verse of it, the reason that I don't, we don't read these verses from verse 14 to verse 18 and I look at you and go, I don't know what that, do with that. Anybody got any ideas? And we're all like, no, but it's supposed to be really good. So let's read it again. Sort of like people recite like mantras. Let's recite it because it's supposed to be good for us. And then we'll go home. There's a reason we can look at the text and understand what God is calling us to do. And it's not because of us. When, when, when Zachary and I exegete the word of God to you, it's not because Zachary is smart. It's not because I am smart. It's not because we get it. It is all because of what? Because of the spirit God has given us. It is because of his Holy Spirit. Who not only, as it says here, who not only gave the apostles the words to say, right? It is the spirit that gave us these words, that imparted these words to us. But then that same spirit, they then impart these words to whom? To spiritual people, you and I. So that we as spiritual people can understand the words that the spirit of God gave to the apostles, which came from the spirit of God as he mined the depths of God. So when we read hard texts, if, if, we, can't, if we can't understand anything uh, then understand this, when we come to the Bible, we must come to the Bible humbly. I mean, when we talk about hard text, all, all of Scripture should be a hard text for you. All of it. And it should humble us to, to remember that. We need the Spirit of God to reveal to us the Word of God the whole way, every step of the way. Every step. We need the Spirit of God. The problem comes when we lose that humility. And that's what happened. Surprise, surprise. That's what happened to the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter four, Paul is dealing with pride in the church. He's dealing with those who are causing divisions, people who are acting mature, even seeming to be mature, but whose conduct we're showing that they're not. And what does he say in first Corinthians four, seven? He says, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So here, this, is a, this becomes a problem. If we lose our humility in understanding the word of God and it drives us to pride that then leads us to cause divisions within the church, he's saying, look, why are you acting as if you got this? Why are you acting as if you didn't just receive this stuff? You couldn't understand any of scripture without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit remains essential in helping us understand the word. Why do you boast as if you didn't just receive this? So we must always be on guard to guard this humility when we read God's word. 
to be on guard against a spirit of pride. Uh, when the reality is everything we understand, we only understand because the Spirit gave it to us, gave us that understanding. We received every bit, every bit of theological knowledge you have, you have received. It is all a gift. It is all grace. And that will help keep us humble and help keep us, as Paul warned, not to boast. Not to boast about it. All this, he says, goes back to the Spirit. Now, what is, what is cloudy today will be, will be clear tomorrow, but not because of you, but, but, because of, uh, but because of the work of the Lord. So there may be some things in Scripture that our minds may not be yet ready to grasp because of maybe how young our faith is uh, or simply how deep the truths of Scripture are that... Uh, or how maybe different they are from the world we grew up in. Sometimes understanding parts of Scripture is difficult based on how you grew up. But as we grow as Christians, those things will become clear as the Spirit teaches us so that what was once hazy might one day not be hazy or foggy or difficult to understand. I know that there are certain theological and spiritual and practical passages that, that once confused me. I mean, I know there are passages that I read now, and I remember reading those passages and going, I have no idea what that's talking about. And now I read those passages and go, how did I not know what that was talking about? Like you read it and, it's so, and that's, one of the, that's one of the best things about, about uh, when I get done preaching, when someone comes up to me and says, you know what? I used to really have trouble with that passage and now I look and it, yeah, it's just right there. It's so clear. It's just right there in the text. Now it's good because I think that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's also encouraging because what am I realizing? It's not my great insight into the text that showed him what was there because it was already there. If I'm like, Behold, this cup. No one's like, whoa, that was so cool. He showed me that cup that was sitting right there. What am I recognizing? The reason you saw it in the text is not because of my work, but because of the work of the Spirit. And that's, that's more encouraging than if everyone said, man, everything you said was really good. The fact that you're getting it or seeing it in the text is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. So the next time you read a text, any text, uh, even these that we've been looking at in 2 Peter, and you go, oh, I get what that's talking about. That moment should be a moment where you go, whoa. Because that, that only happens when the Spirit of God teaches His people the truth of God. It should always amaze us when we understand or see anything in Scripture. So Scripture should always humble it. And, and, and if we have this, if we have this total reliance on God, and God teaching us. That's why you get passages like Psalm 119, verse 18. What does the psalmist say there in 119, 18? Uh, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So the wondrous things are already in God's law. But what is the psalm? The psalmist here, Psalm 119, right? Loves the Bible. Loves God's word. Talking about how awesome God's word is. Can write the longest chapter in the Bible on basically how great the Bible is. And yet he can say in verse 18, open my eyes so I can see wondrous things from your word. If God doesn't open our eyes, there's no way we could grasp any of the wondrous things found in his word. There's no way. We need the Lord always and ever to open our eyes. This is why Zachary taught, I could ask him how many weeks ago it was, he would probably be able to tell me to the date uh, on Wednesday night when we read that we're supposed to read the word of God prayerfully. 
prayerfully. Why? Because we can't get any of it without him. And there's a humility to that. So when we get to hard texts, one of the things the Bible wants us to, to recognize is the need to remain humble. To be humble as we go to God's word and to realize that all of it, all of it would be impossible for us to understand if it weren't for the work of the spirit. And you get to this text and you don't understand it, but you know what you can know? He helped me understand all the rest. He's going to help me understand this when I need to understand it. But we must also be careful in this way. Uh, uh, The good thing about the Bible is that God also tells us that he gives us his word so that we might understand it. So yes, you should be humble and you should recognize that you can't understand any of it without the work of God. But God also says, I give it to you so that you might understand it. As we saw a little bit mentioned uh, today in the reading that Zachary did. These things are not there just to confuse us. God spoke to us so that we might do them. So this means we can come to God's word, even the hard parts, with confidence. So uh, come with or in confidence. So come humbly, but also come in confidence. God tells us that if it's in his word, it is in there for it to be understood. Deuteronomy 29, 29, All right? Normally we know Deuteronomy 29, 29 when we're misquoting it. Uh, what do we know? We just know the first part of it, which is, which is really funny that we just know. The first, it's, it's, uh, it's very ironic that we just know the first part of it. Uh, because what does it say? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed... Right, belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So the things that God has revealed, like like we just saw in 1 Corinthians, the things that God has revealed through the Spirit of God to his people, whether it's, you know, in Deuteronomy, on the mountain with Moses, and then one more time, let's try it again, uh, with the law, these things are revealed For whom? They are ours, he says. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And how long? Forever. For what purpose? Not for some mystical purpose. Not just so they can sort of float in our mind. You know, this is mine. I'll sort of, again, just sort of mantra it. But in a very practical way, what does he say? These things are yours and your, your children forever so that we may do all the words of the law. God's word is clear that if God says it, it is so that we might know it and do it. Scripture is not there to confuse us. God is giving us exactly what we need to know, everything we need to know, and even that our children need to know. And these words are ours, he says, so that we might do them. So when you come to the scripture, recognize this passage, there's not a single passage in scripture that is here just to confuse me. It is here so that I might eventually understand it and understand it to the point of even being able to do it. Being able to live this truth in my life where one day you won't just get scripture intellectually. You will understand it to the point that you'll know how to live in accordance to that text. Right. A lot of times the first step is just even understanding what the text is about. 
And it's later that you begin to realize, all right, if this is true, then this is how I have to live. Like Peter has done. This is what God has done. And now this is how I need to live. He gives us, he reveals to us these things, but so that we might do them. The problem comes sometimes when we want God to reveal or reveal more clearly those things that he has determined not to. When we want to move those, uh, those things, uh, we want to move from those things revealed and maybe grab a little bit from those things that are secret and not revealed. That's what Paul uh, talked about in 1 Corinthians right before our last verse there. In 1 Corinthians 4. He said, I've applied all things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. There is a temptation when dealing with difficult passages to want to be able to give a concrete. No, this is the answer. This is what it is. I know it. And end up sometimes going beyond what is written with the result that we create a combative attitude. We can puff up ourselves, he says, because we get it and. And we can't believe that other people don't or even to say that that these other people must now see what I see when the truth is you didn't see it. That's what Paul's saying. When you say these people need to see what you see, you didn't see it. You went beyond what is written. That's your problem. The reason they don't see it and the reason they're not following I follow Paul and I follow Paul is because if they did, they'd be wrong because you went beyond the written word. Look, we must be obedient to whatever the word of God says. What the word of God says is there for us to do, but we must also only say what the word of God says and not more. Definitely not less, but here Paul is warning, not more either. We must have our confidence be in the word of God and whatever it says, that's what we say. Knowing that whatever is written is all that needs to be written about a particular subject for us to understand exactly how much we need to know. The problem, though, isn't just in Scripture, it's in us. And so let's look at a couple of examples of what we can learn about ourselves from God's Word. And you know what? That's going to be a good place to stop. We'll stop right there because there's no way I can get through that, and we don't want to be just right in the middle of it. Let's stop by focusing, not shifting partially to ourselves, Let's stay where we've been today on looking at the vastness of God's word so that we might be humbled by it. And yet the confidence that same God tells us to have in his word. The next time you get to a passage that you don't understand things that you're reading and you go, man, this is hard. This is hard. What do I do with this? One, be humble and realize it would all be hard without the work of God. Without the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, you wouldn't get any of it. It'd be impossible for you to understand. So be humble, but then also be confident. Know that if God wrote it, he didn't write it to confuse you. He wrote it to teach you to the point that you could understand and to do. So be confident. Be confident in your God, in his grace, in his love for you, in his kindness, and be patient. Just as the Lord is being patient towards you, uh, leading to your salvation. Let's pray.